This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome to New Books and Sociology, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Rituparna Padgiri, and today I'm going to be in conversation with Usha Raman and Sumana Kasturi. Usha Raman is a professor in the Department of Communication, University of Hyderabad. Her research and teaching span the areas of journalism pedagogy, critical studies of science, health and technology, feminist media studies, and digital culture. She was elected the vice president of IAMCR for the period 2020 2024. She's a co-founder of femlab.co, an IDRC-funded initiative on feminist futures of work. Sumana Kasturi is a writer and researcher and works in the field of international higher education. Her research interests include children's media, feminist media studies, and digital cultures of the everyday. She has an MA in media studies from Penn State University and and an MA and PhD in communication from the University of Hyderabad. Today, we are going to discuss their very interesting co-edited book, Childscape, Mediascape, Children and Media in India, published by Orion Black Swan in 2023. Usha and Sumana, I welcome you to this conversation and thank you for making time for us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I must say that I really enjoyed reading your book. It was also probably I too am interested in sociology of media. And, you know, it would really help me as well as our listeners, uh, if you could tell us the main motivation behind putting this edited volume together. Okay, so if I could start off and, uh, you know, obviously, Sumana, please jump in wherever you think I haven't uh, given her the whole picture or given our listeners the whole picture. So, um, so we, both Sumana and I, you know, are parents, apart from being media scholars, and uh, we've been interested in uh, children, child development, education, and children's media for a long time. And um, we find that um, there's very little work in India, um, really, that um, has looked at children in media in a sustained fashion over time. Um, In the past couple of years, some new work has emerged that when we started um, thinking about the book about four years ago, um, there was actually very little. 
And with so much happening, both in digital technology as well as in other forms of content creation and dissemination for children, uh, we felt that it was, you know, it was really an important time for us to uh, try and see what scholarship uh, existed, if any, um, and to actually uh, encourage um, people who were interested in the area to um, to perhaps put their thoughts together, bring their research together um, in one volume. Yeah, anything else, Sumala? Um, no, um, that's that's correct. And, um, you know, because of that, the fact that there was so little work, we had to sort of spread our net quite wide. Um, and so that's why we, it's sort of interdisciplinary in nature, the book itself. Right. Uh, it actually goes right into my next question about how I wanted to know about uh, the scope of the book being interdisciplinary in nature. You know, how how is it interdisciplinary? So, so I'll, I'll take that. Um, sure. There is, we discovered that there is very little work in the field within the Indian context. I mean, it's quite a popular subject in the United States, in UK, in other, you know, other Western countries and so on. So when we wanted to put together a book, uh, by definition, we realized that we had to spread our net wide, looking for people outside of traditional media studies or communication um, who are working with children and engaging with ideas that related to children and media use or media consumption. And so it was partly the the nature of the field or the situation that we needed to spread our net wide. And also, because once we started thinking about it that way, we realized it would be actually a much more exciting book if we had uh, contributors, not just from academic disciplines, but also teachers and writers, media practitioners. And then even within academic disciplines, we have people from sociology, communication, cultural studies, literature, and so on. So we thought, uh, it was a combination of necessity and um, consciously choosing that so that we have like a nice range, make it more interesting and hopefully more accessible to, you know, general readers. Right. So what are the general representations of children in the media, particularly in the Indian context? Um, so, you know, while um, obviously we're, we are all very interested in representation as media scholars and also because representation is a way of um, encountering the world, right? Um, but I just wanted to mention here before I actually answer the question that uh, we didn't want to limit ourselves only to representation um, of children. And um, uh, if you look at uh, representations of children in media across media, right? So if you start with... Um, uh, for instance, storybooks or comic books uh, or children's uh, television, um, you'll find by and large until again very recently, there were certain very standard normative uh, representations of children, mostly from majority communities, mostly those who looked a certain way, who lived in certain kinds of circumstances. And uh, when uh, stories did bring in children um, you know, in a more diverse sense, um, they tended to be shown as victims or uh, in very stereotypical fashion. So, um, I mean, that's been a critique of uh, not just children's representations, but, you know, generally representations of different kinds of people in media. 
Um, so the thing with children's media is that if you're going to be telling children's stories, showing them storybooks, and they're constantly seeing a certain kind of child being represented, uh, mostly as, um, you know, as I mentioned, as in a very narrow stereotypical sense, they assume that that is the world and that's what, um, you know, people should look like, that's what people should act like. So representation in terms of, um, you know, uh, how people look and live is one thing. But the other kind of representation that we see, let's say, in media meant for adults or for a more general public is of children um, who are uh, either victims of uh, policy or of, uh, um, you know, life in general. So let's say, you know, uh, you're talking about nutrition, you're constantly seeing children who are hungry, uh, uh, without agency, without control over their lives, and so on. So, um, so representation, I guess, we could talk about in two ways. One is children's representation in literature and media meant for them, and the representation of children in media uh, meant for the general public. And I think there are problematic areas in both ways, and particularly in Indian, um, in the Indian mediascape, uh, you know, that you had uh, wanted me to talk about a little bit. Um, if you look at, uh, uh, let's say, Bollywood or popular cinema, you find um, children usually represented um, either as ornaments, um, you know, they're, they're, they're shown as um, something that prettifies the picture, um, or as uh, victims, again. So, um, so again, you don't really enter into the children's worlds uh, through these representations. That's a very interesting th thing that you mentioned, because I also wanted to ask if children are portrayed as marginal or central characters. I mean, do they have agency? I mean, jumping in from where Usha uh, stopped, um, often, especially with regard to Indian media, I cannot, you know, uh, paint it with too broad a, a brush, but in general, um, children tend to be marginal. As Usha pointed out, in news, they tend to be portrayed as either malnutrition kids or children needing help or ne children needing to be saved uh, with regard to, for instance, digital media or social media, they're constantly needing to be saved. And even in fiction, whether it's, like she said, representations of children in children's media, they tend to be fairly flat characterizations, not much nuance. Some chota B might show agency or some other child, uh, uh, you know, character in a movie might show some agency, but they're also, they're very, um, you know, contrived and, um, you know, don't really, like she said, don't enter into a child's world at all. Often, they'll, if there's a character, they'll be added, like she said, to prettify a story or um, to sometimes further a story, but in a very unidimensional way. You know, the child will say something or carry a message and that's the end of that. But in, and, and th this is a case in both fiction and in news, I think. Uh, I mean, in, um, <clears throat> but interestingly, in fact, one of the chapters, a couple of the chapters in our book talk about how when you give children the option, then they do take agency. They have agency. And occasionally our news media will sort of talk about uh, some child, you know, that child who uh, drove her, uh, who bicycled with her father across states during the migrant crisis. So there will be some of these 
you know, flash in the pan stories, but there's never any, even to that kind of reporting, there's no depth. So in general, we show them as marginal, uh, to be pitied, you know, and as without agency. But we have found in general research, as well as we, we hope to show in our, through our book, that in fact, if you give them the opportunity, then they will show agency. And we need to take that into account. Um, when, for instance, we are uh, education policy or um, in, in general, uh, nutrition initiatives like Pusha had pointed out. So I think we need to give children the opportunity for more agency, our representations should show them having more agency. And we need to take all of these things into account when we work with education and policy and uh, other and popular discourse or community socialization. All of these um, come into it when we are thinking about children having agency or not having agency. I don't know. I hope that answered your question a little bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course, Suman. Uh, you know, so it also makes sense to ask how children absorbs and react to these narratives. If you could talk a little bit about it. Um, so again, the other side of representation is consumption and uh, reception, right? So uh, when children grow up seeing a certain portrayal of themselves or people like them in the world, they tend to assume that that is the way to be. So, uh, so media, of course, have been shown to be important agents of socialization, right? So we learn social behaviors through media and increasingly so because we're interacting with the world so much through our screens. Um, so if you're constantly seeing um, yourself portrayed in a certain way or you know your category uh, portrayed in a certain way, you internalize those lessons from media. But again, um, you know, I think uh, what we have shown uh, or some of the chapters in our book have shown, particularly from um, some of the writers who have worked closely with children, for instance, Samina Mishra talks about allowing or creating a, a context where children can actually uh, create their own media and um, also interrogate the media that they have been uh, exposed to. And when that happens, you find that children actually have a lot to say um, and they have a lot to say that we don't expect them to say just because we're not been listening I think um, so uh, children you know do tend to absorb uh, both the positive and the negative from media um, but this can be uh, balanced uh, one uh, by uh, you know allowing for a more critical engagement with media getting children to think about what they see um, and perhaps talk more about how they would like to be seen and how uh, they would like to shape media. So um, so I think children react in multiple ways. And like Sumana said, it's very difficult, particularly in a country like India, to um, you know draw very general lessons from a narrow range of experience. Um, but um, you know, clearly children are thinking beings. So uh, when they have the opportunity to think and voice their thoughts, um, we're sometimes surprised about what media is doing to them or not doing to them as well. Right, right. And, uh, you know, this also came up a little early in the conversation, but do you think there is an absence of children from India's political discourse as well as, you know, the policymaking sphere? Well, um, so through uh, the years, um, I think children have been seen as a vulnerable group, not just in India, but uh, generally everywhere in the world. Um, and... Um, I mean, of course, they, they are vulnerable in multiple ways. 
but um, because of this vulnerability, um, what we tend to do is uh, not uh, engage them in conversations uh, uh, that have to do with them. So, um, so yes, in terms of policy making, in terms of um, you know uh, implementation of policies, uh, children's voices have been excluded. And and again, this is not. Uh, uh, only in India, but in most parts of the world. Um, and uh, so children are not seen as political actors because they don't vote, right? So they don't, they're not a constituency in that sense. Um, yet children have um, a keen sense of politics. I mean, after all, politics is about uh, power and about uh, resource sharing and children, I mean, any group of people when they put in into a group situation, uh, have an innate understanding of it. So uh, we found, um, so we talk in our book uh, a little bit about um, how children uh, in rural areas, for instance, Vasuki Belawadi in his chapter talks about how rural children, when given the opportunity to engage in civic discourse through media, they they actually um, do amazing things. And uh, similarly in Hyderabad, there are groups that uh, are trying to make children visible in political decision-making. Um, but in general, yes, um, you know, a short answer to your question is that there is an absence of children from our political discourse, but I think there are attempts being made to remedy that. I think uh, I also have to ask about the relationship between childhood uh, children and digital technology, considering the kind of world that we live in. So, you know, when we are talking about media, we also have to talk about the digital. So how do you envisage that relationship? Um, I'll try to answer that, uh, Rituparna. In the average middle class child in India lives a very media embedded life. Um, it would not be very different from a child in a in the global north or in any affluent uh, society across the world. But uh, the even the term Indian children is is not a homogenous term, right? If we have children living across the spectrum, living very different lives, um, working class, middle class, I don't know, the very rich, or intersections with class, caste, uh, region, location, you know, in terms of urban, rural, there are all of these things. Um, Shakuntala Banerjee has this term she's developed calling them media rich and media poor. Right. So while my child might have access to every kind of technology, um, the watchman's son does not. Right. So there is that difference. Um, nevertheless, we do have to look at um, about how children engage with media in general and maybe digital technology in particular. And it's traditional in, you know, in communication media studies to look at uh, predominantly at media effects, right? So we're looking at how does the, all of the old uh, research on, you know, video games, violence and video games, or um, what are those graphic uh, music videos, or all of those old types of ways of looking were focused on what are the effect of media on people and children in particular. And that's one approach. As a field, we've moved beyond. We're looking at other ways uh, uh, of understanding uh, young people's engagement with media, like agency we've talked about just now. Um, but nevertheless, as Usha had pointed out, and you had also mentioned, 
our children are living a very media-saturated life. And um, there's no question that they engage with it in very interesting ways. They are sort of taking in uh, the representations, not of just themselves, but of the, pe of the world around them, of people, how they see themselves. Again, a few chapters in our book um, directly look at the kinds of that kind of thing, like how community socialization, uh, sort of, which is so often influenced by say WhatsApp messages and so on, and how that leads to the way children see themselves, children see the other, uh, all of that. So on the one hand, there is a strong uh, influence of digital um, technology, not digital technology, but digital media content on the lives of children, no question. The other thing, I'd like to point out is that digital technology or at some level social media based tech, you know content tends to affect everyone, not just those who um, who have access. So again, a media rich child may be creating and sharing content on Facebook or Instagram or um, what is that Twitch, um, but uh, the the, what should I say, the consequences of how social media works and how digital technologies have sort of taken over certain aspects of life um, trickle down to everybody, to even children who don't have access to these, uh, you know, digital technologies. For instance, WhatsApp messages, socializing adults in certain ways, hate speech uh, being spread, data privacy issues, net neutrality, in general, undermining of democracy. All of these things are sort of part of understanding how technology, how digital technology works with our lives. And nobody is immune to that. So, so it's a, one of those double-edged sword things. There's a lot of interesting things that can be done. It's amazing what children who have, who are given the, um, the opportunity to, uh, to media make, to make media can do. But it's also true that there's a lot of stuff that they, that is affecting all of our lives. Does that make sense? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's very interesting that there's, of course, the connectivity and nobody is left untouched. So right. when we're talking about, you know, a media socializing children, uh, two things uh, that come to my mind, even after, you know, reading your book is, of course, the questions of gender and religion. And we see a lot about the two. So how do you say that media and, you know, uh, ch a, ch a childhood uh, socialization are connected, particularly with respect to these two aspects? So if I can jump in there, I mean, in some ways, uh, Sumana did touch upon, um, you know, stereotyping and uh, how children might react to that. But specifically in terms of gender, I think there's been a very close uh, and long um, interrogation of how children, uh, you know, develop a sense of gender, develop gender stereotypes, uh, learn how to perform gender in certain ways. 
and there's no denying that um, you know two two things really play into that one is of course their exposure to media and the other is their exposure to social conventions through family and school and so on um, but then uh, clearly today uh, because media uh, both in terms of content and in terms of environments media environment uh, children are so steeped in it. We can't uh, deny, uh, you know, I think media plays a huge role um, right from, um, you know, the sort of uh, cart- uh, stereotypes you see in cartoons, the roles that girls play, the roles that uh, boys play um, in terms of uh, watching sports. You know, I mean, it's only very recently that um, uh, women's sports and uh, are are visible right to the media consumer um, so so i think as uh, so there's no doubt that media um, does socialize children into uh, gender roles uh, and renders certain kinds of gender roles normative and others um, you know uh, uh, marginal or uh, deviant um, and again, I think there is much more of a conscious effort to correct that. Um, uh, you see a lot of filmmakers uh, trying to include diverse uh, presentations of gender in uh, both children's content as well as uh, in um, general content for uh, adult uh, viewers. Um, so there are book series, for instance, Pratham, I think, is doing a lot of work um, in this area, publishers like Tulika and um, uh, Tara books are doing a lot to uh, counter those stereotypes. Um, but then there are other diversities that don't get seen as much um, apart from gender. And in our book, actually, uh, Deepa talks a little bit about that, um, Deepa Srinivas in her chapter. In terms of religion, um, I think that's a little more problematic. Um, and one, um, it's almost uh, a subtext in a lot of uh, content uh, that's made for children uh, and content that's made for adults that has children in it. Um, so, you know, some children may have grown up reading, um, you know, Premchand's uh, Eidga and got a sense of uh, othering through that. Um, but it's not really talked about in the classroom um, in relation to religion, right? So. Um, perhaps what is now happening is that there's more of among sensitive teachers, they're using media to counter some of these stereotypes related to religion and to act up, actually counter some of the broader discourses that uh, seem to be permeating our society uh, and using some good media to do that. Um, and again, when you look at the chapters in the book, there are two chapters that um, sort of touch upon this, particularly Kiran Bhatia's um, work with children where she has tried to uh, use media literacy in a particular way to uh, sensitize children to the socializing role of media. So it's, you know, first to recognize that media is making you think about uh, divisions and differences in certain ways. And how do you then uh, counter that through um, other discourses um, that you can expose children to? So um, so, yeah, so I think media can be a really powerful tool, one, to socialize, but also you can use media literacy to counter those very uh, effects of media. All right. So because this is an edited volume, you know, I also want to ask you about the logic behind the structure and the organization of the book. And if you could also talk a little bit about maybe uh, the future scope in this area. 
Um, how about I start and then uh, hand over to Usha. Usha, I'll, I'll talk about the first two or three uh, sections and then you can continue after that or something like that. Um, so Rituparna, we've organized the 12 essays in this book into five sections. We've called them discourses, representations, interactions, constructions, and negotiations. Of course, no categorization is perfect, and we recognize that the essays may overlap categories, right? They can one can one kind of chapter can go into more than one section. But in a way, I mean, we have to come up with some kind of organization, and this is the one that worked for us. And then in a way, the overlapping is also what sort of keeps the book together and coherent and hopefully flowing logically from one to the other. Um, so the first section is called Discourses, and it provides an overview of the field of children and media, especially in the Indian context. And really, there's not a lot of work um, in even giving a good overview. So the first chapter by Manisha Patakshelat is really good. She traces the field from early Doordarshan programming all the way to current transformations sort of wrought by digital technologies. And in this section, we have two chapters, this uh, one by Manisha Patakshelat and another one, um, uh, the chapter two looks at contemporary discourse around children and media by Devina Sarwate. Um, in that, she sort of takes a more um, focused approach on uh, sort of the discourses, the popular discourse around children and use of media, whether it's the moral panic that tends to surround certain kinds of usage or certain news, or, you know, in other ways, uh, that popular discourse constructs childhood and interaction with digital, with the digital in spe uh, specifically. The second section is called representations, and we have three chapters here, and we examine the representations like we had talked about earlier of children, but also the absences of certain kinds of representation. For instance, um, Usha had mentioned it, Deepa Srinivas looks at uh, picture books and how they tend to center and normalize middle-class childhood. Um, and then Deepa Srinivas talks about a project where she, a project that was actively looking to make picture books about children who are not, you know, who are marginalized, who come from marginalized communities and who are often not depicted in uh, popular media. And she talks about the challenges that surround these projects, the language you use uh, that's considered proper, the representation of how to portray a certain thing, marginalized kids tend to live quite difficult lives. And we tend to sort of feel that uh, children's media should, so should um, protect children from the harsh realities. And then how do you sort of um, come to a middle ground between two of those uh, realities? So she talks about that. And then Aditya Deshbandhu in his chapter uh, looks at gaming worlds and then compares it, the children in gaming worlds, and then compares them to children as they're portrayed in news media and in film. And actually goes back to the issue of agency, talks about how uh, children in news media and in film um, tend to be so, so those are traditional media representations, right? Or, or media representation in traditional media tend to be quite flat and unnuanced and um, almost, and always, almost always without agency. Uh, while 
these very interesting portrayals in gaming worlds have, but but children often move the game forward or are instrumental in it. Uh, so he makes this interesting comparison of representations. And the third chapter in the second section of representation, so that's chapter five, uh, Mehek Siddiqui looks at how child representations are constructed in the news, right? How children are talked about, mentioned, described um, in, the, in the news media, uh, in contemporary news media. So those are the first two sections. Um, the third section is called interactions and we explore children's engagement with old and new media. Um, it's sort of set in the school context. So Kamala Mukunda is a teacher as she works at a school where access to technology is severely restricted. And she talks about the reasons and the, you know, the philosophy behind that approach and the conversations that she has with students for taking that approach. So it's a very interesting way of looking at it. And she speaks with ex experience on um, that issue. And then Anita Parihar and Archana Kumari have their two chapters, which also investigate device use and internet dangers. And in fact, young people's perceptions of these, and they often find they, these chapters sort of find that our assumption of children not understanding the dangers is often just that, an assumption. They understand quite a lot more than we give them credit for. And then we have two last sections. They're called constructions and negotiations. And there's that's where the agency part comes in. We've, we There's some interesting work and these chapters actually we are very proud of, of the kinds of things they're talking about. Um, Usha, do you want to for, you know, continue with that? Okay. Sure, sure. So um, as uh, Sumana said, I think these uh, last two sections really show um, the other side, that is what children can do when they're given the space and allowed, uh, you know, for their voices to be heard. And um, uh, so we have Samina Mishra, who's a filmmaker, and uh, she does a lot of work with uh, media making among children, both of film as well as um, you know text-based media but in this she really talks about um, you know her experience in a school setting with children making cinema um, and um, the next uh, chapter by Vasti Belavadi sort of is the counter of that. Samina talks about an urban context, whereas um, Vasuki talks about children in a rural context and uh, his project which is children as media producers um, really, um, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, shows how children can become really powerful civic actors when they're given the tools with which to uh, engage with the world. Um, and the last section on negotiations um, is, um, I think it um, points to the problematic areas uh, that, you know, again, Ritupana, um, you sort of alluded to in earlier questions. Um, so for instance, Nimi Rangaswamy talks about uh, uh, how young young men, young adolescent boys uh, really um, engage with social media platforms. And it's a very different way of thinking about youth engagement uh, with social media. These are marginalized uh, young people and we're often not thinking about them when we think about social media uh, engagement. Um, and so, um, you know, how do they take pleasure from social media and uh, how do they also insert themselves into the conversation? Um, 
So, so that's um, a really um, interesting and a, and a very different sort of view of uh, youth and social media. And the last chapter um, speaks to some of the questions that you raised earlier about religious socialization. And again, um, as I said earlier, you know, I don't want to repeat that, uh, but it shows how media itself can um, become uh, a tool for counter socialization. Um, so yeah, so that's um, the 12 chapters. Um, and uh, obviously there's a lot more to be done. And uh, as happens with, uh, I think any group of authors or editors, once you've finished a book, you suddenly start seeing all the gaps that remain to be filled. Yeah, I think you're quite right about that. Uh, okay, so uh, thank you so much, Usha and Simona, for the conversation today. It was an absolute pleasure reading the book and listening to both of you. I sincerely hope that, you know, more listeners actually go and read the book after they listen to the podcast. Thank you once again on behalf of NBN. Thank, thank you so much us. for having us. Yeah. Thank Bye. you. Bye.